Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Weeks, and we're going to wrap that series up today. And uh, I'm excited about this series because it's basically based out of my uh, experience when I ran cross country in high school. I want this picture that they're getting ready to show to get burned into your spirit. That's me. Uh, yeah, I'm too late. Some of you are praying that it'll get out of your spirit. That's me. If you can't figure out which one I am, <laughs> I'm the second guy on from the right <clears throat> in all of my whiteness. Um, <clears throat> Choke myself up. Scary stuff. Uh, I want that to get burned in your spirit because it's probably going to be burned when we leave here <clears throat> and never be seen again in the light of day. Uh, but we've been talking about the lessons that I learned while I ran cross country. Uh, you'll remember the first one was Indian running. We talked about this concept of training where the guy, you would line up in a single file line and run, and the guy from the end would run to the front and increase speed that way. And I talked to you about the necessity of encouraging one another, that we root one another on to greater speeds. And I just want to tell you, that wasn't a one-service deal. We need to constantly be encouraging one another in the Lord. You need to find people to open up your mouth and say, I'm praying for you. I appreciate you. Or you need to write it down or do whatever you got to do to get the word out that you appreciate people. Encourage one another in the Lord. Then I talked to you about side stitches and shin splints. You'll remember I told you that pain is inevitable. If you're going to run, you're going to hurt. If you're going to be in this walk with the Lord, if you're going to run this journey out with Christ, you are going to inevitably experience pain. But I tried to teach you that pain is a love note from God. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't discipline you. Amen. And I told you that it's our birthmark. It's what makes us legitimate. It's We're not real because we glow. We're not legitimate because we glow in the dark and get goosebumps at church. We are real and we are legitimate because we have been marked by pain. That's what makes us real. And then finally, I told you that there's a harvest that comes with pain. It's righteousness and peace. And then last week, we talked about hurdles. Remember what we learned about hurdles? That too many of us have turned pit stops into parking lots. The thing that you should have already gotten over, you keep bumping into those things. And I tried to teach you that hurdles are not supposed to stop you. They're supposed to stretch you. I just recently found out about a, an experiment that was done in California. At the University of California, Berkeley, two scientists took an amoeba and they placed it in a perfect amoeba environment. Now, I have no clue what a perfect amoeba environment is. All I know is they put one in it. And they provided the perfect water temperature and they provided a constant supply of food. It was the perfect amoeba environment. And what happened was after just a few days, guess what? The amoeba died. And their conclusion was is that that amoeba never had to make any adjustments. And so it couldn't withstand it, and it died. I just want to tell you today that the hurdles that you've been facing and that you continue to face are causing you to have to adjust. That is intended by God so that it will stretch you and your faith will rise up. Well, today what I want us to do is I want us to go back, and we're going to wrap this thing up and finish this. And I want to talk to you about running to win because here's the truth. I don't want to run if I'm not going to win. Who wants to run to be last? I don't want to come in dead last. I don't want to just barely get by. If I'm going to put out the effort and if I'm going to withstand the pain and I'm going to have to cross over hurdles, then we might as well run to win. Amen. I want to win this journey. I want to finish this journey. And so I want you to join me in Hebrews chapter 12. 
We're going to go back into that. We're going to read the first verse again out of three different versions. And then I'm going to come to verse 16 and verse 17. Now, I'm going to ask you uh, to do me a favor. Don't move around a lot and don't walk out a lot today. You will miss it. I've got a, a couple things that God has said to me. You need to hear. I know that God has given me a word. And if you move around, you might not miss it, but the person you distract might. And so I just want you to keep your rear in a seat just for a few minutes, all right? Do me a favor. All right, uh, I, in, in West Oklahoma, we had brought this guy in to preach camp meeting one time, and people started getting up going to the bathroom on a regular basis, and he would, he would be going after it. And when they'd get up, he would just stop and watch them. And then when they'd get out of the room, he'd start again. I'm not going to do that to you because some of y'all are pregnant. Okay, should I give you permission to get up twice? <laughs> Lachelle, you can get up as many times as you need to get up. If I see a guy get up, I'm going to ask some questions, all right? No, I'm playing with you. <clears throat> Run into win. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and here are the hurdles and the sin that so easily entangles us. Listen to this phrase. This is in the NIV. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us in the living bible and let us run with endurance the race god has set before us in the king james and let us run with patience the race that is set before us and then in verse 16 out of the message bible watch out for the esau syndrome trading away god's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite you well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessings, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears. Three lessons quickly. Number one, pace is paramount. Paul says it like this. He says, run with patience. See, I, I can still remember the first competitive run I ever got involved in. It was before I'd started cross country. I was probably in about eighth grade. My dad was starting to run because of health issues and he began to run and they had this unique event in Anadarko called the Indian Exposition and every year they have a race attached to that and so we decided that we would go run the race and so we jump in there and they give us the little numbers to put on us and we get on the starting line and the race is about to start and everybody's getting ready and they take the starter's pistol and they and something phenomenal takes place. Everybody takes off at a mad dash. I'd never run a competitive race in my life, so I didn't know what to do. So I did what they did. I started sprinting, man. I was running as fast as I could run, and I just kept running and running and running. And lo and behold, after the first mile, I suddenly came to myself and recognized that I had made a, a, a very bad strategic error because there was no way I could keep that pace up through the entire race. It was interesting to me, a lot of those guys that took off too fast ended up at the end with me when it was all said and done. See, I believe that what God is calling us to is to be able to sustain our pace. Now, don't sit down on me now. Y'all were all praise and worship here a minute ago. Stay with me now. We are called to run this race with patience at a speed that we can maintain for the long haul. Starting the race is not enough. We are called to finish the race. And the reason I say that is because... Most of us have been together for a while now. We're three years old, and a lot of you started with us. Some of you haven't been attending that long. But as I've learned your story and I've learned your experience, what I've discovered is that many of you are great sprinters. 
you 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 get started really quick. Let me let me throw some examples out. Like some of you are great sprint, sprinters when it comes to gaining material possessions. Right now, at 24 years old, you have more possessions now than your parents had when they were at the end of their journey. Some of you are great sprinters in relationships. You can win the heart, man. You know how to turn on the charm and the romance, and you know how to win the heart just like that. You are a great sprinter in relationships. Some of you are great sprinters spiritually. You chase one goosebump to the next goosebump from one spiritual high to the next spiritual high. But I came to tell you that we are not called to be sprinters. We are called to be marathoners. And I am not impressed by the fact that you know how to start the thing what I want to know is that you know how to finish the thing in fact in the Old Testament there's a, a statement that comes from 1 Kings chapter 20 verse 11 that says this one who puts on his armor should not boast like the one who takes it off your speed right now doesn't impress me nearly as much as it will when you come back 20 years from now and say, I'm still running, I'm still pressing, I'm still moving. When you can come back and say that to me, then I'll be impressed. Don't try to impress me with your speed right now because you're just getting started. See, I, I just have some questions for you this morning. What good does it do for you to sprint to owning enough stuff that it ultimately bankrupts you? What good does it do for you to have all your financial dreams right now and all these things and possessions and cars and clothes and houses and jewelry and, and all this stuff, but at the end of the race you find yourself financially bankrupt, unable to make ends meet with nothing to live on. What does it do? What good does it do for a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It's not enough to start the race. I want to ask you, what good does it do to sprint to win the heart but on being able to keep the heart? Some of you sprinted to gain the heart, and you, you've had the heart for six months, but what good does it do for you to be able to sprint and win the heart and then six months later wind up brokenhearted, crushed, shattered in your spirit because you didn't know how to keep the heart, or worse yet, six years later with five kids, you find yourself in rubble and destroyed and broken. What good did it do to be able to, to win them with a good first date if you couldn't sustain the pace? What good does it do you if you can run from one spiritual high to the next, but six, six months into the journey you crash and burn spiritually? What good does it do you to run from one revival to another revival, from one fad to another fad, from one trend to another trend, and then six months from now we come to find you and we can't find you anywhere and you don't know Christ and you're backslidden and have nothing to do and don't want to be in church and don't want to know God and don't want to have anything to do with Him because you didn't know how to maintain the pace. Run the race with patience. Pace is paramount. I am challenging you this morning to do the things necessary now to ensure that 20 years from now you are still running the race. Like, live within your means. Like, get a financial plan. Like, listen to Dave Ramsey and get some money in savings. That's how we ensure that we are moving and living beyond just today. We are pressing for tomorrow. I got some, suge some suggestions. How about quit trying to live on romance? I, I, I got bad news for you. I know you all in puppy love right now, but romance ends. 
It does. There are days it comes back, but there's a lot of days there's no romance. So I am challenging you to quit trying to run your race based on romance. Start running it on love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. I love you whether I like you or not. That will keep you running 20 years from now. I got another suggestion. Why don't you go see her when she doesn't have her makeup on? That'll help you run 20 years from now when you recognize that I didn't, be, I didn't base my relationship with her on how well she did her makeup when she was 16 years old. I chose to love her whether she looks like that or not. Go meet his family before you make a commitment because the family that he has is the family that you will become. I'm preaching real good right now. How about spiritually speaking? It just amazes me. I meet people that know Christ and and they they have an experience with Christ. Six months later, they're out and you go and ask them, well, did you read your Bible? Well, no, I didn't have the time. Did you go to church on a regular basis? No, I was too busy. Did did you enroll yourself in an accountability group? Did you get in a small group where people could hold you accountable? No, I just didn't figure that was for me. And then they go, but I can't figure out why. I just can't stay in this walk with Christ. Well, dummy, wake up. Do Do the things necessary now. Pray now. Read your Bible now. Get in an accountability group now. Attend church faithfully now. And what you will discover is that 20 years from now, you will still be going down the path and you will still be growing. And all those folks that were chasing goosebumps and gold and revivals and fads and trends will be in the dust behind you and a consistent pace. I'm just like the little turtle. I will catch up to the rabbit and I will win the race. Pace is paramount. You can only win the race if you keep running the second thing I want to say to you is this and 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 if you miss everything else please 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 hear this run your race Uh, listen listen the writer says it like this he comes in and he says run the race that is set before you one version says it like this run the race that is marked out for you. The Greek words there used for that set before carry with them the idea of being appointed or destined. In other words, your race is an assigned race and your race is a destined race and your race has been marked out for you. Now, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, that means that you can no longer use the excuse of not liking your race to keep you from running. What I'm saying to you is that some of you spend more time about complaining about your race than you actually do running your race. And so what I am saying to you is that we have forgotten that the Bible declares that God knows our beginning and He knows our end. He knows everything in between. He has assigned a race for us. He has marked out a course for us. We are destined. The steps of righteous men and women are ordered by God. It is our race and you can't run somebody else's race. I've never won anybody else's race. I've won my race, but I haven't won anybody else's race. And you say, well, Steve, why is that so important? Because I need you to hear me very carefully. Get real specific with some of you. Some of you are squaring off right now against diseases and sicknesses that you would have never chosen to face. 
If you would have had your way, as you're sitting in, as a teenager dreaming about your life, you would have never chosen this course, this path, this sickness. Who wants cancer? Oh, I, I, I'd like to choose cancer, God. We don't choose that course. And some of you are facing physical issues that you would have never chosen and it's not your preferred course and it's not the course that you dreamed for and it's not the course that you wanted to run but may I declare over you run anyway this is your marked out predestined determined course run anyway some of you are watching your children do things that you never thought they would do and you're disappointed and you're discouraged and you're disillusioned Run anyway. This is your race. This is your assigned course. Griping about the scenery along the route, wishing you were on another race course won't do you one bit of good. You've got to make up your mind that I'm going to run the race that is set before me. Some of you, in your own dreams, thought you would be happily married by now. And instead, you find yourself alone. And this is not the course you would have picked. And this is not the race you would have chosen. But it's your race. Run anyway. Some of you thought by now you would have been happily married. And instead you just find yourself married. And as painful as it is, And as disheartening as it is, that is your prescribed, predestined, determined race. Run your race. You cannot win at the end if you don't run your race. Well, I didn't choose this financial predicament that I find myself in. I'm broke and busted and disgusted and all the other words that rhyme with that. And I I wouldn't have chosen to live like this. I thought by now I'd gotten over all this financial stuff. and Run your race. You say, well, Steve, why are you saying that? Because, see, what I've realized is that just because this isn't your preferred race or the path that you would have chosen, that does not excuse you from running your assigned race. And some of you are sitting here today, and, and, and you may not be doing it right now, but you've done it in the past, and in your mind you begin to play games and you go, I wish I could run their race. Their race is better. Their race is easier. I like the scenery on their race. Their spouse looks better. Their spouse is better. Their job is better. I like their house better. I like their car better. I like their friends better. I just like their life better. If I had that life, I could run. Newsflash, that's not your race. You will never be able to complete their race. You can only complete the race that's been set before you. Run your race. It was released in 1981. It's probably the greatest running film of all times, the greatest movie about running that's probably ever been reduced or produced. Uh, and all I have to do is this. And you know what movie it is, right? You know what movie that is. That's Chariots of Fire, right? Yeah, we know this movie. It's the best running movie ever made as far as I'm concerned. But have we forgotten the story? 1924, there was a Scottish Christian runner by the name of Eric Liddell that was sent to the Olympics 
to run the 100-meter dash. That was his preferred race. That was his best race. That was his opportunity to win gold. There was only one problem. That race was going to be held on Sunday, and since he was a Christian, he would not run on Sunday. So he was assigned a different race, the 400-meter dash. That's not the race he wanted to run. That wasn't his preferred race. In fact, all the American coaches told their runners, he, they said this to him, to them. They said, he has no chance of winning this longer race. But you know the movie. You saw what happened. Even though it wasn't his preferred race, and even though it wasn't the race that he would have chosen if he'd had his choice, he ran it anyway. And not only did he run it, he ran to win. And he came in first, and he won a gold medal, and he marched right into running history because he ran his race. You say, well, that's a good example, Steve, but I don't know about that. Well, then let me give you one more that's probably even a better one. It's the example of Jesus. Oh, I know he was God. If I was God, I wouldn't have any problem. No, I know he was God, but he was also man. And we think, well, he just happily went to the cross. Well, Father, you want me to go to the cross? Cool deal. I'm God. No, you go back and read the night that he spent in the garden where in travail and heartache, he begins to beg his father, if there's any other way, please, didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to endure the suffering. He didn't want to endure the nails. He didn't want to endure the spit. He didn't want to endure the, the thorns on his brow. He didn't want to go through all that. In fact, he travailed so much that the Bible says that his sweat became like drops of blood. If there's anything else you can do, God, I think we fail to realize that the cross wasn't his chosen path. But something interesting happens. The Bible says that Jesus set his face like flint. And he had this moment in the garden where he begins to weep out to God and say, if there's any other way, please don't send me down this path. I don't like this particular course. And he discovers after praying that that is the determined race. And you'll remember what he says, nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. What I am encouraging you and challenging you to do this afternoon is to find a place to where you can get along with God and complain about your course and complain about the heartache and complain about the hurt and complain about the sickness and complain about your marriage and complain about your relationships and complain about your money all you want to. But at some moment in that time alone with God, you've got to get in contact with Him and recognize that this is your assigned race. This is your determined race. And you need to have have a nevertheless moment where you say, you know what, God, if this is the race that you predestined me to run, then not only will I run it, I will complete it. I am determined. I will set my face like flint, and even though I would have chosen another path, I will stay on this one, and I will run it until I can say like he did, it is finished. And If you can make up your mind to do that, you'll win. The third thing I would say to you this morning is run for what matters. That's not very profound. Except I wonder how many of us spend all of our time and our energy and our efforts and our money running for things that don't really matter. The truth is, is that a lot of us sitting in this room right now will wind up on our deathbed looking back over the course of our life and we will have severe regrets because we will have given our life away for things that don't matter. 
I want to tell you that if you're going to run to win, then the only way to win is to run for the things that actually matter. Paul says it like this. He says, if you want to win, avoid the Esau syndrome. I love that. You know what the Esau syndrome is, right, don't you? You remember Esau was the one that was so hungry he'd been hunting and he was trying to find a meal for his dad and he comes in from a long day in the, in the woods hunting and he's so starved that he walks in and his brother Jacob is fixing a bowl of beans and he trades his entire birthright, his inheritance, for beans. I wonder how many of us throw away our marriage for an impulse. Oh, y'all, you see, y'all didn't know I was going to go there. Y'all thought I was almost done messing with you, but an impulse. I want you to know this morning that an impulse can ruin your marriage. I want you to understand that an impulse can cripple your witness. I want you to understand that an impulse can cause you to, to abort your children's future. An impulse. We were never designed to operate on our impulses. We have been called to operate with an eye to the eternal where we beat our impulses into submission and we don't operate on what we feel. We operate on our faith and we recognize that he's called us to greater things than just what I'm feeling right now. And some of you are driven by short-term impulses and they're destroying you. Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he says, In a race, all the runners take part in it, but only one of them wins the prize. How many of you want to win? I want to win. He says, Run then in such a way as to win the prize. Every athlete in training submits to strict discipline. He does so in order to be crowned with a wreath that will not last, but we do it for one that will last forever. Run for what matters. What are you running for that matters? What are you allowing to consume your life that really matters in the end? What momentary impulse, there's another way to say that word impulse, it's selfish reason. That's what, that's what that is. What selfish reason am I allowing to destroy what really matters in my life? We laugh at old Esau. Bean Boy. That's what he was. Bean Boy. That's his new name from now on here. Passion, we're just going to call him Bean Boy. Oh, Bean Boy through his entire inheritance. Do you recognize this morning that in today's age, he probably threw away hundreds of thousands of dollars on beans. Beans! And we laugh at him and say he's a fool. But let me bring it home for you this morning. How many of us throw away our marriage for a quick flirt that we never intended to close the deal on and even from the beginning? How many of us throw our marriage away for a quick peek at a picture in a moment's weakness? It's real quiet in here this morning. How many of us throw our marriage away for a moment of so-called freedom? You're not free. You're stupid, but you're not free. Come on now. Let's get real. 
momentary impulses. How many of us throw away our financial future for a bowl full of nice cars and nice clothes and nice houses? We throw our whole future away. We throw our kids away for being called work. Beans, beans. Y'all think I'm going to finish that, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm just going to make sure you're listening to me. <laughs> I don't even like beans. Beans. When you get to the end of life, see, what I'm challenging you to do is not to wait till then. Because then you can't do diddly squat about it. It's too late. When you're on the deathbed and you say, I should have given my life to my kids and I should have given my life to my, my church, I should have given my life to my God, I should have given my life to whatever, it's too late. And so I am challenging right now, I don't care how old you are, 12 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, you can make a course adjustment right now and begin to run for what actually matters so that when the race is over, you win. How do we know we win? Because we get there and the Father looks at us and says, well done. That's what I want to hear. And the only way to hear that is to keep my pace up. And the only way to do that is to run my race. I'll never get there by running your race. And the only way to get there is to run for what matters. I want you to stand with me this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around except me and my, my leadership team. And only then, because we want to be positioned to pray for you and what you need. If you're here this morning and you would say, Steve, I have not even started the race. I, I just want you to understand, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, if you have not accepted Him into your heart, there is no way that you can win this race. You will get to the end of life and recognize that without Christ in your heart, you have run the race in vain and I cannot finish this race. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. We promise we will not embarrass you. We just want to pray with you and put some materials in your hand. If you don't know Jesus and you would like to get to know him, if you would like to make a move to start this run with him, start this walk with him, if you don't know him and would like to know him this morning, would you just sl simply slip your hand up and pull it right back down and we'll pray for you. If there's one, anybody else that would be willing to say, you know what, I need to know him today. I want to start this race. I'm going to wait just a moment longer before we move on. Let's do this together. Dear Jesus, we want you in our life. We acknowledge that you died for our sins and we're sinners. We ask you to come into our heart. Forgive us of our sins. Become our Lord. Help us to run for you. In Jesus' name. Now with every head bowed, still, still bowed, if you're here and you'd say, Steve, I don't like my race very much. 
I know God has spoke to me this week and said to me that some of you just don't like your race and you've lusted and longed for and prayed for somebody else's race. You say, Steve, I don't like my race very much. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And I would have chosen another path. And you need to be encouraged today to keep running your path. If that's you, I just want you to quickly raise your hand. Yeah, there's one. Anybody else? Yes, another. Yes, all over the house. People raising their hands saying, I don't like my race very much. We're going to go back to the first sermon that I preached to you about running. We're going to encourage one another. I want you to move out. There are people that are standing next to you right now that raised their hand. And I just want you to reach out right now. You don't have to know who they were. That's, that's not our business. Just Would you just reach out and lay your hands on your neighbor right now? We want to pray a prayer of encouragement before we pray for our movers today and before I read this uh, testimony to you. We just want to believe that right now God is going to encourage. Father, we speak to our brothers and sisters that raised their hand that said they don't like their race very much. Father, I pray that right now that you would encourage them in the Lord. I pray that they would sense in their spirit they're going to have enough ability. They're going to have enough power. They're going to have enough courage to finish their race. I pray that you would encourage them on their run today. Even when they come up against difficult things and when they see other people being able to go through easily and they long for that person's race, I pray that they would keep their eyes on the prize that can only be won by running their race. We come against this feeling of I need to be some other race. I need to run some other race. I come against that in the name of Jesus. And instead, I pray that what you would do is you would put in us a determination that we will run our race with all of the obstacles, with all the hurdles, with all the pain, with all the pitfalls, with all the ugly scenery that may be involved. Father, I just pray right now you would encourage every person here that raised their hand to keep running. Keep running. Come on, just say that to the person you're praying for right now. Keep running. You can do it. You can make it. Hang on. Don't quit. Keep running. You can do it. You can win your race. If you have your mover card, would you get that out this morning? These are the people that we've been praying for over the last nine months, asking the Father to win these folks to the Lord. We've seen 69 make a decision. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we bring our movers to you today. These are folks, God, that either began the race and quit because it was too difficult and they didn't run the right pace, or these may be individuals that have never started this race. Father, we're praying that you would interrupt their run right now. They've been running away from you. I pray that they would begin to run to you. God, I pray that they would begin to make a move towards you and that they would find a relationship with you. I pray that you would speak to them. And Father, I pray that you would position us that we might be able to encourage them in the Lord and that we might be able to say the right thing at the right moment, at the right time, in the right way that would cause them to run after you. And we give you praise for what you're accomplishing through this. We give you praise for the souls that are being won, that lives are being changed. And Father, we exalt you. We lift up your name forever. And everybody said, Amen. Let me read a testimony to you because I want you to understand that we're not wasting time when we pray for these folks my dad sent me this it was a Ford, two Fords so you're just going to have to hang with me he said I just wanted to share the testimony of what your idea is doing, that's the idea of these mover cards, you remember those of you that have been with us a time that Jim Eby came and did a marriage conference for us and he challenged me that I should start having you pray every Sunday for 10 folks to get saved and I took that challenge and designed this mover card and we've been doing that 
He says, Jim, I shared the concept you gave, you gave me on the phone about the percentage of those who are saved by others praying for them and, and inviting them to church. Then he starts talking to me. He says, son, I used your movers card. He took one of our mover card as a physical example of how to implement this program. Some have changed it to the most wanted, top 10 most wanted, or to I touch 10, but the concept is the same. The reason my dad wrote me that is because he had used that as an example in North Carolina, and he got this email, Brother Ely. This is Pastor Doug Bartlett of First Pentecostal Church in Mount Olive, North Carolina. We have recently incorporated into our upcoming outreach of Friend Day the 10 most wanted list, where people are praying for their lost friends and family members. You shared this idea with us last spring at the North Carolina Conference Evangelism Rallies. I wanted to forward this, to, this email to you that I received from a prison warden in South Carolina who became aware of what we're doing through a mutual friend. Amazing how God is working. Here's the email that he received. Hello, Pastor. I'm a friend of Kay Bateman who attends his church who is, one, who is the one who shared the 10 most wanted with me. God is working miracles through that simple little list. I teach an exercise class and, it, and each one of my uh, participants filled out one of these cards. At Bible study last week, everyone that was present took one and filled it out. And a lot of my staff at the prison have filled out these little cards. Once they fill them out, they give them back to me. And I put them in my prayer book. And I ask each person to be lifting up every name in that prayer book. When I pray for the names in that prayer book, I also pray for those who turn the list in. It's an awesome ministry. The prayer for salvation is so amazing. I actually, now listen to this. I actually had a female officer who was in my office for corrective action who accepted the Lord as her Savior while she was there. Her name was on one of these lists. She still got the corrective action, but she also got saved. And this lady says this, I've been on a mission trip to Brazil, but it's like a mission trip now being a warden of this prison and bringing souls to the Lord. Cecilia Reynolds, Kershaw Correctional Institution in Kershaw, South Carolina. I want you to know that when we pray for these folks, it has worldwide impact. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're thankful that you called us to run. I pray that you'd help every individual that's been here this morning to run to win. I pray that we would begin to see a shift in what we run for. Let us run for what matters. Let us run at the right pace. Let us run our race. And Father, when it's all said and done, we all long to win. I want us to hear I want us all to hear you say, "Well done." Well done. And we'll know that we won. In Jesus' name, hug somebody. Encourage somebody in the Lord. Thank you for being a passion this week. We'll see you next week. God bless you. privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.